So this summer, we've been in a message series that's looking at all the reasons that might get in the way or prevent us from embracing and believing in Jesus. And today, we are wrapping up that series called Barriers to Belief with the topic of miracles. What are they? Do they happen? And if they happen, why? Why do they happen? And what does that mean for us and the world that we live in? There's lots of questions to get at today and a lot of places that we can go in the Bible to enter into the conversation. But for today, we are going to be in what's called the Gospel of John. It's one of the biographies of Jesus. You'll find it in the New Testament, the part of the Bible about Jesus. So if you have a Bible, grab it and turn to John chapter 2. We're going to pick up the story and dive right in, starting in verse 1 of John chapter 2. Here we go. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So this story is a story about a miracle a miracle worker, and all the people who were in the room as he did this miracle, and all the different responses that they had to what happened. We have Mary, Jesus' mother, who sees the problem of wine running out, and she goes to her son, Jesus, because she believes that he can do something about it, that he has the ability to fix the problem, to provide a solution. We have the master of the feast. He completely misses the miracle because his focus is on the, the quality of the wine and the time it was served. Then there's the disciples who are watching Jesus. They're watching as he's unfolding this miracle. He, they're watching as he does the miracle and it stirs up faith in them. And finally, we have everyone else at the wedding who may or may not know what, have, what happened or they may be wondering what to think about what they just witnessed. And so what you have is a miracle, a miracle work on all these people in the room when Jesus is doing something extraordinary. And you know what? I feel like we're in the same boat in this digital room together today because just like the people in the wedding at this time in Galilee, in Cana, in this village, we're going to have different perspectives and beliefs and opinions about what we just read, about what happened on a day in history at a wedding when Jesus turned water into wine. And honestly, when we're talking about the miraculous, it comes with the territory. This is going to be normal because we're talking about the extraordinary. Miracles, by definition, are something extraordinary. They are supernatural acts by a personal and a powerful God within the natural world. And so it's not always easy to get our minds around the supernatural. 
miracles and when we come up against them. Which is why we included miracles in this Barrier to Belief series, because at its core, Christianity is miraculous. From front to back and everything in between in the story of God, miracles play a part. In fact, Christianity itself is a faith system that is founded upon a miracle, a one-of-a-kind, never-before-seen historical event that changed absolutely everything, the resurrection. That moment in history when Jesus was nailed to a wooden cross and died, when he was put in a tomb, and then three days later, he comes back to life in a physical, transformed body, never to die again, so that you and I could have a life with God and a future with God forever. See, everything, everything in Christianity hinges upon this miracle, this historical event called the resurrection. So much so that one of Jesus' followers named Paul, he would actually write in a letter to the church in Corinth, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Another translation actually says your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins if the resurrection did in fact not happen. And so if the resurrection didn't happen in history, if Jesus didn't come back to life, then what he did at the cross didn't do what we believe it did. Sin and Satan and death have not been defeated and we should all just pack up and go home because everything in Christianity falls apart if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen. But if he did come back to life and if Jesus is alive, well, then that changes absolutely everything, including how we think about miracles and how we read the story of God and how we live in the world and how we view and think about how it works. And so, friends, to be a Christian requires you to believe in miracles because at its core, Christianity is miraculous. It's founded upon miraculous, extraordinary events like the resurrection, like the incarnation when God became human. And that creates a problem doesn't it, for the, for the postmodern mind, because the postmodern mind tends to view the world and how it works through the lens of science, through a, a naturalistic explanation of how things are. It sees faith as being based on, on nothing more than hopeful thinking and myth and, and tethered to out-of-date books and ancient teachings. But science, it's believed, is to be based on truth and evidence and is tethered to our forward progress into a better future. See, if you come at this conversation with that perspective, with a scientific, naturalistic worldview, then something like miracles can't happen because your worldview, the way you view the world, doesn't include the possibility of the supernatural and the conclusions that you draw don't lead you to believe that they actually exist. This is the challenge of miracles that Christianity is a belief system founded on extraordinary historical events where God himself intervenes in the world he created in powerful ways. And yet the ideas of miracles can still be a barrier for a lot of us, even those of us who follow Jesus. So here's the question, how do you enter into that space? How do you engage and even begin a conversation like this when you have those two opposing viewpoints, this barrier to belief? Well, let's go back to the story about a wedding and what happened there. Because there we have an entry point into our conversation that can open up the door to this reality of miracles and a God who does them. So John chapter 2 opens with Jesus, his mothers and the disciples at a wedding. Everything's normal. 
the wedding is ordinary, everything that you'd expect to be happening is happening until the wine runs out. And that's where things start to get interesting. Look again at John chapter two, verse three. It says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, to Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come. Now we have to press pause because to understand this reaction is to understand the culture that this story takes place in. Because in this culture, weddings were major, major events. They were important events. The whole village would attend them. They'd last for an entire week. And all the weight of the hospitality, the food, the drink, the, the music, everything fell on the shoulders of a bride and a groom. They were responsible for everything. And so hospitality in this culture is seen as a sacred duty. And so the fact that they run out of wine is not just a, an inconvenience that's gonna be a little bit of a letdown, it's actually a social disaster. This is gonna bring shame and disgrace upon this couple, their family. It's gonna actually be seen as bad luck for this couple and their marriage. So it's not just going to uh, have a little impact. This is actually a really big deal for this couple and this family in this moment. Running out of wine wouldn't just ruin this wedding, it would actually ruin the couple's reputation. And so it's a big deal, this moment, that wine has run out. And Jesus' mom, she knows this. And so she goes to Jesus because she believes he can do something about it. And Jesus' response, well, it's kind of rude. Seems kind of cold and dismissive, but culturally it's not. See, when he looks at his mom and says, woman, it's a term of respect. It's a term of endearment. It's not derogatory. It's not demeaning. And, and he's essentially asking her mom, why should I get involved in this? I came for a reason in that time for that reason to be filled is not yet here. And so he's simply asking her why he should get involved. And Mary, well, it doesn't really matter what Jesus' response is anyway. If you notice, she just ignores Jesus, kind of brushes him off and goes to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. She just ignores Jesus. And so it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because she says, do whatever he tells you. And that sets the stage for Jesus to do the miraculous. He tells the servants to take these six stone jars and fill them with water all the way up to the brim. And then he says, draw out the water. But when they draw out that water, it's not water anymore. It's, it's wine. Somehow, some way, Jesus takes this water, transforms it into wine. And it's not just a little wine. Jesus actually produces an abundance of wine, over 120 gallons of wine. I looked it up, that's over 600 bottles of wine that Jesus produces miraculously in this moment. And so this wedding is now not gonna run out of wine anytime soon. They're set for the rest of the week. And this wine, well, it's the good stuff too. Jesus doesn't produce half-hearted wine, he actually produces high quality, superior quality kind of wine. Wine that makes the last wine they were drinking pale in comparison. That's how good it is. It's so good, it shocks the master of the feast that he's even serving it before he's supposed to. And so at this wedding and in this moment, the ordinary becomes extraordinary in the hands of Jesus. And in that room, there must have been all kinds of reactions and responses to what Jesus did. And there's probably all kinds of reactions and responses going on inside of you as you read this because John, he doesn't tell us how Jesus did it. He just says that he did it. He just tells us that Jesus does this miraculous thing and that the people are there and it leaves us with all kinds of questions and all kinds of doubts and wondering, is it even possible for something like this to happen? 
And for those of us who like answers, this can be painful. Like, just tell me how you did it, Jesus. Just show me, lay it out for me, explain it. But he doesn't. All it says is that he did it. And again, this confronts us with the challenge of miracles on both a personal and on a philosophical level. Because we want answers. We want things explained. We want things to be tucked into a neat and tidy little box. We want to understand how, but we're not given the how. We're just given that it actually happened. And so we want to also know, why do I hear stories about other people experiencing miracles that's never happened to me or the people I love, even though I've asked a thousand times. Like, we have personal reactions when we hear these stories and we talk about miracles. I know I do. Like, for me, my, uh, my wife has, has dealt with headaches and migraines for a long period of time. And, and for so long, she has tried everything. Doctors, medication, massage, acupuncture. She's tried so many things. But none of it's ever, like, worked. None of it's ever taken away those headaches. And I remember early in our marriage, she was having one of the worst uh, migraines that she's ever had, and, and she was incapacitated. And if you've had you know, a migraine, then you know they can really knock you down and knock you out. And so she was doing all the things. She took her medication. She was in a quiet room. She was resting. Nothing was working. And so finally, she cries out to God, help me take this headache away. And you know what God did? In a second, in a flash, the migraine was gone. It was like it wasn't even there, and she was able to get up and go on with the rest of the day. Miraculous, amazing. God did it, and he can do amazing things. But here's the thing for me, is I've never actually been in a room for a miracle. All my experiences of miracles have been secondhand. And you know what? Sometimes I struggle with that. I struggle and ask God, why haven't I been in a room for a miracle? I'd love to be able to see one, but that's not been my experience. But it doesn't mean that miracles don't happen, because they do. They happen all the time, and God is still at work doing amazing things, just like he was at work in this family from our church in an amazing way. Check out their story. So I've wondered, what constitutes a miracle? Is it odds, one in 500, one in a thousand, one in a million? I think sometimes society has kind of diminished the word miracle by assigning it to almost everything. But I think truly there's times where miracles do happen. And I, I think I, I've experienced that in my life. Five years ago, this past June, our son Jordan was facing a major surgery to remove a tumor in his bile duct and pancreas area. It, it was quite shocking, to be honest with you. Um, Testing was really conclusive, but uh, the doctors said it was cancerous. I think they said something like, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, it's probably a duck, which wasn't funny for us at all. And no parent wants to hear that. I, I don't really care what age they are, whether they're a young adult like our son was. His wife was pregnant with their third child. He was quite sick. And uh, regardless of, of the uh, outcome, we knew that it was going to be a tough road, and it was. Carol and I both had peace, though, um, f from different circumstances and different ways. We both came to a deep trust in God. There was a song by Lauren Daigle that played over and over and over again, and I will trust in you. And really, that I held on to that. If I held on to that every day because we really didn't know throughout the journey of testing and retesting and 
and then even having the surgery, what the outcome would be. So he had the surgery. It was difficult. It was five or six hours long. And when he came out, we still didn't know the answer. I think it was two days later, all the results of the biopsies came, came through and, and they were negative. <laughs> he didn't have cancer. It was, it was just such a relief. Um, and yet for us, for Carol and I particularly, we, we went, oh, yeah, that's good. We didn't really expect it to be a miracle like it was. I think we just trusted the whole time that whatever happened, God was, was in it, and he had his hand in it. Post-op, I was with my son when we visited the surgeon, and um, the doctor was very experienced. In fact, he was, I think, somewhat of a pioneer in this particular surgery. And uh, he said, you know, I've, I've performed over a thousand of these, and maybe only two or three have been benign. I, I don't know what to say. And I think I said to him, I believe in miracles. And he just kind of nodded. I think science has trouble with miracles when they defy expectations. And, and maybe he just slotted that in the three or four now in the thousand that weren't cancerous. I know that sometimes people are praying and hoping for a miracle and it doesn't happen. And I'm sensitive to that. And uh, we were overjoyed with our miracle in our family. And I think we were a bit maybe subdued um, telling it to people in, in the way that we know that not everybody gets the miracle they hope for or they want. Miracles, yeah, they're real. They do exist. They happen. They don't always happen when you want them or how they, you want them to happen, but, but they do happen. And it is very real to us. And I'm very grateful. So what an amazing story about Blaine and, and his family. And they confront us again that miracles happen. God is still in the business of doing extraordinary things. And, and look, I don't know why God didn't give you your miracle when you asked for it. There's a mystery to all of this. But what I do know is that the miracle worker is still active today. He's still doing the same kind of things he did at this wedding in Cana. And you might have personal reasons for why you disagree with that or why you doubt that or why you're skeptical about it. And you may have philosophical reasons to doubt it and have questions about it as well. But again, it doesn't mean they don't happen and that they can't happen and that some of the barriers that we've set up that get in the way of us believing in miracles have to get in the way of you being open to the possibility of them. See, let's bring, for example, one, one piece into this conversation like science. So for a lot of people, start, their starting point in this conversation is that there is no God and there's no spiritual reality beyond this world. That this world is all there is, that there's no designer and there's no doors open to an outside reality outside of the material, physical world that we inhabit. And that the only thing we can trust is what we can test and explain through science. And again, if that's your starting point, then you won't see a miracle in this story. You won't believe in the possibility of miracles because how you view the world actually excludes the possibility of them. But then again, Christianity comes along and it says there is a God who created the world and he's active in it in powerful ways and that he will at times pierce his creation to do amazing and unexplainable things called miracles. And for a lot of people, there's no way these two views can fit together. There's no way that this can be true and this can be true. They can't coexist. It's either one or the other. But here's the question that I have. What if they don't have to be enemies? What if science and faith aren't enemies? 
What if science wasn't the enemy of God's existence or of the miraculous? See, the popular view of that, of, of science and faith, is that they are enemies. But in fact, did you know that modern science took the shape it did largely because scientists who believed in God and that the world he created with, was one that was created with form and order and design, that that world could be studied and investigated and understood. And to push it even further, these Christian scientists actually looked into the Bible and they saw God actually encouraging scientific study of the natural world. They looked at the first book of the Bible called Genesis where God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the water. They saw this as God saying, go, explore, investigate the world that I created, go and study creation to make sense of how it works and to understand the world you live in. And as they went and they did that, you know what? They started to find reasons to believe that God existed, logical and reasonable reasons to believe that God existed. This world actually points us to something beyond it. And in this, amazingly, science is catching up to what the Bible has been saying all along because in a book of the Bible called Romans, a guy named Paul, writing about uh, life in God's world, wrote these words in Romans chapter 1. He said, for his, he's talking about God, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so what Paul is saying is that we can look into nature and we can learn about God. We can look at the mountains, the stars, the solar system. We can study the seasons and the trees and we can see something of God in his existence because what he has created is him shouting out to us, I'm here. See, God is speaking to us through the natural world and scientists are starting to see that and believe that. Like cosmologists, which is about the origins of things, Andy Sandridge says, it is my science that drove me to the conclusion that the world is much more complicated than can be explained by science. And so in other words, science can't ultimately disprove the existence of God, but it can help us get on the road to believe in the existence of God. And so what if science and faith aren't in fact enemies? What if science can actually point us to God and be a guide to God instead of away from him? See, science is good and it's beautiful and it helps us understand the world we live in and it can help point us to something beyond this world. And if science can do that, then the door is open for all of us to begin to investigate the reality of Jesus and in the miracles that Jesus does which is where John leads us in this story because yes, this is a story about a wedding and what happened here, but ultimately it's a story that has something to say about Jesus and what he is doing in the world. And we see that as John leads us to that at the very end of this story in verse 11. He gives us insight onto that when he says this, this is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now the key word there is that word signs. It's the word that John uses for miracles throughout his gospel. 
And the key thing to know is that signs are purposeful. They happen for a reason. It's not just that the miracle happens for the sake of a miracle happening. There's something greater that it's pointing beyond to. And that's what John is ultimately telling us about this miracle that happened when Jesus turned water to wine. He's telling us that miracles are a message pointing us to something greater. Miracles are never just an end in and of themselves. They happen to reveal something. They're not just acts of great power, but show us something about Jesus and what he is doing in the world. And so when Jesus turns water into wine, the message is this, the king is here and he has brought his kingdom. The miracle of Jesus is about more than him just changing water into wine. It's about the invasion of a promised kingdom in the here and now, the, the moment in the greater story of God about how prophets like Joel and Amos talked about a day when the mountains would drip with wine and flow freely. And that when that day come, it would be an announcement that God was acting in history once again to fulfill his promises to his people. They talked about a day when this would happen and here, right now in this story, John is saying that moment has arrived in this little village called Cana, far away from the spotlight. It's pointing us to the reality that God himself has drawn in near and the promise of abundant life is about and to be fulfilled and is beginning to be fulfilled in the world. See, this moment is a declaration that what God has promised is finally happening in Jesus. It's the start of something new happening in the world. Jesus said it was like a kingdom breaking into this world and drawing near to us and that this is good news. This is the gospel is that God's rule and reign has arrived in Jesus and is now being established in the world. It's broken in and now new things are possible. The blind will see, the lame will walk, the captives will be set free, the dead will come back to life. The old way of living is being replaced by a new way of living centered and oriented around Jesus. A new beginning is here with the arrival of Jesus and it brings with it new possibilities and a new ending to this story. Because this moment doesn't just mark the arrival of the king and his kingdom. It also looks ahead to a day when the king will come back and there will be another wedding celebration, a time where you and I who are united in faith in Jesus will sit down for a great heavenly feast with all of God's people at the marriage of the of Jesus and his church and we will celebrate the reality that there will be no more death and disease and all the sad things will come untrue. I see, friends, a day is coming where you won't feel the tension that Blaine talked about, how we want the miracle, but it doesn't happen, but we know they're possible. The day is coming when we won't feel that tension anymore. Everything will be fixed. All will be right. All will be made good. But until that day comes, we live in this world. And, but it, this world is one where new possibilities and new things are possible. The king has come. The kingdom is here and we're living in a new normal. And we're invited to respond to that reality, which is where John wraps up this story with the disciples believing in Jesus. See, what they saw and experienced at this wedding led them to respond. It says that they put their faith in Jesus. Their affections for Jesus were stirred up. Their faith rose and they believed in him. And that's why John includes miracle stories like this one and all the way throughout his gospel. It's because he wants us to know who Jesus is. He wants us to believe in him and to experience life in him. 
He says, that's why I wrote at the very end of his gospel, he actually says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And hear this, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so John wants us to see Jesus for who he is. He wants us to come to faith in him. He wants us to see the reality of God's rule and reign in this world. And he wants to see what is possible in this kingdom, the new possibilities that are opened up for anyone who unites their lives to Jesus. See, that's what miracles are really about. They are a message revealing the reality of the king and the presence of his kingdom. It's here. And that means... God's stuff can happen. Miraculous stuff can happen. And you, and you know what? You might not be there yet. You might not be in a place where you see that or where faith in Jesus and the supernatural lives in you and makes sense. And you know what? I want you to know that's okay. But I'm, might I suggest two steps for us as we close? For you and, and for all of us, really, that will help us get on the road to embracing this barrier to belief called miracles. The first one is this. Get to know the miracle worker. I love what author and apologist C.S. Lewis says. He says, but in Christianity, the more we understand what God it is who is said to be present and the purpose for which he is said to have appeared, the more credible the miracles become. So here's the first step. Start with Jesus because he's the heartbeat of Christianity. Do what the first followers of Jesus did. They got close to him and they spent time with him. If you notice in this story, they're with Jesus. They're watching him as he lives his life. They're watching him as he interacts with people. They're close to him and their proximity to him forms and fosters their faith. And the reality is that the only way our belief gets formed and fostered is by getting to know Jesus, by having an encounter with him. So this week, why not take some time to get to know Jesus? Why don't you take this week to read through the Gospel of, of John and get to know who Jesus is? Watch what he does and how he treats people. Listen to his teaching. Look at his way of life. Investigate the things he does. See for yourself the reality that he loves you so much that he went to the cross to die for you and then he rose again so that sin, Satan, and death would not have its claim on your life. Why not start this week by putting yourself in a position to know the miracle worker? Because that's when barriers begin to fall and belief begins to rise, when we encounter the king named Jesus. But let's not stop there because how about this second, second step? First, get to know the miracle worker. Second, position yourself for a miracle today. See, in John chapter 14, Jesus is about to leave and he's talking to his followers and he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he, will he do, because I am going to the Father. Father, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So what Jesus is saying is that when the Spirit of God comes and we are living in his kingdom under his rule and under his reign, we will do the same kinds of works that Jesus does. And... We can ask anything in his name and he will do it. And let me ask you, do you actually believe that? That Jesus can do whatever you ask him to? Do you believe that right here and right now, a miracle can happen if you ask Jesus in his name to do it? For many of us, the answer is, I don't know or no way. 
But what if just for this moment, you put yourself in a position for that miracle to happen? What if you took Jesus at his word and you asked him for the first time, or maybe for the 500th time, to do something that only he can do? Now, he might not do it, but what if today was the day? What if Jesus, who invited us to pray for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, that heaven would invade this earth and this reality, what if today was the day when that happened for you? So why not pray that today? Why not take that step, take that risk, because the miracle worker is still active, and maybe, just maybe today, he'll move in your life in the same way he moved in this couple's life at their wedding and showed his glory and showed us what's possible when he shows up in the world.